welcome on in. Enzwell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at pearlhandmail.com. That is the question. You're welcome on in indeed to this final fight size episode. Fitting we should have a big hitter in Belfast super middleweight Paddy McCrory who we'll hear from in a few moments. But with the curtain now down on the Matchroom Fight Camp series we'll dedicate a future episode to looking back over um, the fights and the cards over the last few weeks uh, whether it was top ranked bubble in Vegas whether it's MTK in Wakefield, who is still ongoing. BT Studios, of course, a couple left to come as well. But one series which has absolutely smashed it, captured the imagination, won the hearts and minds of fight fans, and possibly even um, some new eyes on boxing. When you're used to looking at and listening to Mr Hearn um, hamming things up and selling things as, as all good promoters do, you wonder, you wonder. But when they, when they go big, they tend to smash it out of the park. And I think it's fair to say Matchroom Square Gardens, Fight Camp and all that went, all the packaging and everything else that went around it, it, it was special. It was, um, it was, it was, yeah, special I think is the best thing we can say. It offered me an escape, uh, a release from the COVID lockdown, the misery, the uncertainty. And uh, Eddie and his team clearly used lockdown and that period of uncertainty to become certain. They brainstormed, they looked at UFC, power ahead and dominate the, the combat crucible indeed the new fanless sporting world but to their credit they came back with a number of notable changes using their online presence more than ever before building an online presence i think it's safe to say telling stories of fighters building their background and letting fans and people on the outside just have a little look behind the curtain as i said winning the hearts and minds now planning to do all that and trying to do all that is well and good but it can really only be maximised if you have something special to build up to. And in Fight Camp, they had that. They had the focal point. It reached its crescendo on Saturday, where Povetkin stormed the fortress, smashed the drawbridge, and delivered his own very form of unique Russian devastation on the hapless Dylan White. Get to the reality and the in-depth analysis of the fight in a few moments' time, but I think, uh, to stay a little bit dramatic, I think the drama and the way it unfolded and the carnage and uh, the laying of waste and everything else reminded me somewhat of the shock when Khaleesi just absolutely laid waste to all before her when she scorched in Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Just before that, a quiet, unassuming, humble warrior from Bray delivered a performance to finally draw a line, forever silence those who couldn't, wouldn't, and refused to see the class difference back in June. And I think the only real question that remains now is... Are you not entertained? So here we go. It's no secret that I never believed or bought the theory that the Pursuing rematch was high on Katie's wish list or agenda. Why would it be? It's no secret that I didn't buy into the whole furore and the um, popular opinion that Pursuing deserved deserved a rematch because let's face it that word really doesn't have a place in boxing at the moment but we'll talk about Dillian White and all that in a, in a little bit what we do know is that for everything Katie Taylor has done from her early career right from that those early days has been done to the highest level 
Now, whether that's training, whether it's performance, whether it's representing, or assembling a trusted, reliable team around her. A team she knows, not only Lindsay Letter, share the burden that comes with being a shy, professional icon, has her back, gives her reliable information. So, when Katie says that she listened to her team after that first fight in Madison Square Garden, after that first win over Delphine Pursun. She's telling the truth. She says it with a steely, cold honesty and can look anybody in the eye when she does it. Because she knows it's true. And the facts remain. If Serrano was anyway genuine, legitimate, respectable, stand-up champion that, let's face it, she likes to say she is, well then this rematch wouldn't have happened. Last weekend wouldn't have happened. Maybe, who knows. But there were um, a couple of things I said in last week's episode that, um, yeah, they rang true, agonisingly so in some cases. One of those things was bo- timing is everything in boxing. And it is. So all those stars aligned. The loss of the Serrano bottle. Pursuant's incessant, um, shall we call it campaigning? For, and and the support that she garnered from a certain section of the media opinion aligned everything lined up to deliver what we got on Saturday night and what did we get on Saturday night with every fight at this point of her career we see Katie Taylor becoming more and more at home more assured more comfortable more relaxed if that's safe to say Comfortable in her skin, sitting at the very, very top table of world boxing. And even in the furore, the eye of the storm, where the the blind commentary, crazy commentary at times, an assuredness and a silence and a, and a confidence that spoke way, way louder than the, uh, let's face it, a very loud and bizarre few who like to trot out the words of Adam Smith Matthew Macklin almost verbatim as if uh, what they were saying was remotely close to what was happening bias then of course of the likes of myself maybe the blindness of some and those who want to defend our girl at every opportunity throwing on top of that a ferocious flailing windmilling of pursuing One girl stayed calm. One girl rose higher and higher. When the the squared feet falling in, dangerous willingness to to abandon defence style and throw caution to the wind just to try and land that one telling blow. Our girl stayed calm, eerily calm, calculated, composed. That girl is Katie Taylor. Ireland's Katie Taylor. Now I know, I've heard it often and often and often. I'm entitled to my opinion. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. We hear it all the time. And um, what I can just counter that with, if I may, would be if you cannot, couldn't, or wouldn't see the golf in class over 20 rounds of boxing, if you are willing to allow pay-per-view-fueled greedy commentary... And a director who loads his words, I would say, very, very cleverly, before, during and after. 
if you allow them to blur what was actually happening in the ring for you, if you couldn't see through all that, then I guess that opinion will stay forever where it belongs. I'm going to just wrap it all up without getting, without being insulting. When Lomachenko's fleet foot sees him glide across the ring, almost like the Matrix, his movements so Matrix-like, he could be that. So close to perfection, which as I always said, I don't believe exists. But it's so close that he can judge the distance, the speed and the range within the finest margin, just enough to slip outside in the blink of an eye and then slip back inside in that same blink to deliver a flurry of combinations, blinding variants, over, over and over again, fight after fight. And the world marvels. And, and so it should. It's, it's, it's Vasily Lomachenko. Ireland has its own Vasily Lomachenko. And she is Katie Taylor. And she does all of that. And then some. And she does it with a smile, a charm, a charisma, a shyness that money can't buy. That all the statements and all the carnival and all the everything that you want to... All the things that are bad about this modern era cannot buy or manufacture and through all these dark days of uncertainty of nobody knowing what's coming next Katie Taylor gave us those moments to absolutely cherish enjoy and savour and for that Katie Taylor thank you brings me back to that word earlier on (laughs) deserving what to say firstly almost as predictable as the hate mob the WBC I would say within within hours of the outcome of the fight issued a statement and uh, I'm going to paraphrase but basically what they're saying is there are now no restrictions on Tyson Fury defending the WC belt once he fights Deontay Wilder again now let's leave the belts and the sanctioning mobs aside okay Let's leave them out there where they belong for the time being. So many wanting to tell the world that they knew what was going to happen and that they could see what was coming and that they, that, but they didn't actually tell anybody. What are the facts? The facts are that before the fight, Dillian looked sharp, fit, powerful, focused, ready. During the fight, he was menacing, calculated, imposing, and he was present. He was in total and utter control and he looked on course to deliver the biggest, best and most accomplished and most rewarding win of his career. And then afterwards, looking back as all the experts are, he was, for me, when he came to the ring, the first thing I noticed, a little bit pensive, you would expect for a fight of that magnitude. Um, The entrance is always, always gripping. It's always brilliant. The first thing I noticed was he wasn't he wasn't sweaty. He wasn't at all. Both of the fighters were quite dry. Now, that could be because it was an outdoor fight. It could have, could have been a breeze. could have been cool. could have been... I don't know. I don't know. And, and those experts in those areas will know better. And no doubt will tell us at some point in time. But he was tense. I still believe he was dialed in. He was focused and more ready than most. If not all other occasions that he's, he's walked to that ring. One of the many cliched uh, comments that I've that I kind of 
care enough to repeat is that oh he didn't jump on Povetkin when he had him in trouble when he knocked him down the first and second time whatever if you've watched any anything of Dylan over the last few fights particularly in the Chisora ones when he had him really hurt he didn't he doesn't do that he's been more calculated he's been more paused for thought he's uh, plotted and stuck to the game plan rather than charging into something whereas if he had done that charged straight into what happened well that's Dylan White that's what you'd be told by those same quote unquote experts and let me be the first to point out that yeah I am referring to those that element of a viewer because they've been probably getting to me a little bit more than they should I got some comments in the aftermath of Saturday night that makes me wonder at times what sort of an island we are living on right now Uh, thankfully thankfully it was a very small minuscule irrelevant minority uh, which I responded to the way I always do welcome thank you for that but uh, let's let's tease that out a little bit and why do you think that but strangely enough there was no reply (laughs) what I know going into the fight having previewed it watched it and um tried to prepare for, for what I thought and, and shout out to those that did get in touch saying that yeah I would have gladly been wrong with, with uh, the analysis and the, the expectations of Povetkin I would have gladly been wrong and I'm not saying I got it I just haven't done the homework and done what um, you would expect somebody who has a little bit of love for what they do to do in preparation I was I was just trying to cover all the eventualities and the styles and everything else having previewed him I know now, looking back at him, he's, he comes relaxed, he comes ready. Povetkin became very, very quickly um, adapted and he's learned over a career to accept adversity, to accept an imbalance, that underdog giving away size, height, uh, any and all parity. He, became, he becomes and became at home and comfortable being uncomfortable so very quickly. And in the white-hot pressure cooker, the dizzy, scrambled, dazed carnage of two quick knockdowns. And they can say what you like, they're enough to put a man of Povetkin's stature on the floor twice in the one round, which wouldn't be lost on him. That's a 10-7 round. Amid all of that, he has the drilling, the pedigree, the programming that had him perfectly positioned, and I would say uniquely positioned, to expose just a fleeting glimpse, of a second, where Dillian switched off, and he delivered that telling shot. Lucky shot? Um, perhaps. Cold? Absolutely. Calculated? Definitely. Spiteful? Without a shadow. But seasoned champions have all of that and take all of that and have taken all of that in the past into fights and seen opportunities and tried to capitalise and just didn't, couldn't or for whatever reason weren't able. The facts, again, Povetkin did and for that he deserves credit. I said to Dillian not not too long ago, one of the things that captured my imagination and captured my support of him early on was when he fought way back when he fought the Golden Goose when nobody could see through Anthony Joshua and see that yes he was a great talent and he could possibly be all the things they wished and wanted him to be but he wasn't what they were saying he was right there and then one of the things that I really really loved about Dillian and has felt stayed true and gone with him is his willingness to be real to be him whether you love him or whether you hate him 
what you get is what you see and what you see is what you get and that hasn't changed and I don't expect it to change in this adversity I think over the course of the next few days he will as Katie Taylor did and does and as all good solid pros with a reliable team around them which is key to everything it's key to success it's key to adversity it's key to failure it's key to everything he will sit with his team he will assess look back over and make the the, the adjustments that are needed one thing I will say and it's not being um, one of those haters is that I noticed very quickly on Saturday night even though he was in complete and utter domination of Povetkin that he was listening more and more and more to our pal and previous guest here Dave Coldwell not taking anything away from Xavier or anything else I just think that that balance may come as well and that experience may come and that all things will add together what may not seem right now to make him a better fighter and my last point nobody nobody in the modern heavyweight era or probably previous have fought a list of content, a list of opponents that Dillian White has over the last 10 fights nobody nobody you could probably go back as far as Muhammad Ali and farther to see where a boxer faced such top level top 10 opponents successively and still never got that quote unquote deserved shot so Dillian keep the head my friend you'll bounce back bigger better and stronger for this and when the story is written and the final full stop is in place and the book is closed doing what I know and uh, relying on what I know I believe Dillian when the history books are written and closed in years to come that they will show Dillian White heavyweight champion of the world and just before I get across to Paddy McCrory, I wanted to mention two other fights on at the weekend that jumped out and that were really, really um, eye-catching. Former Declan Spellman opponent, subsequent sparring partner and pal Shacken Pitters was in with Chad Sugden for the British light heavyweight title on a Mick Hennessy card at the Fly-By-Night Studios, Channel 5. What a great name. Uh, of course, as I said, it was the British light heavyweight title and he scored, Shaq scored a unanimous decision win to take his record to 14-0. He's another top-class fella who's got a great background, great story. Hope to catch up with him in the future. And who knows, who knows, later on down the line, we may just have a third instalment of Spellman Pitters for the British light heavyweight title because, let's face it, the two occasions before, incredible. But well done to him and the team and well done to McKennessy, who is again building a new stable. And the other one at the weekend was a stunning, stunning ninth round win for the Irish bomber Joe Smith, which came in the bubble in Las Vegas, the top-ranked bubble in Vegas, over Elder Alvarez, also a light heavyweight. Um, Alvarez's only previous loss, of course, came to at the hands of Sergei Kovalev. It was a huge, huge statement win for Joe Smith. It's a, it's a win which puts him firmly back amongst the chasing pack in that division. And it is, when you see the knockout, you'll know what I'm talking about. Devastating. I mean, a phenomenal shot. I've been in touch with uh, Star Boxing and the team there. Been in touch with Joe and we will have him on the, on the podcast here in the not too distant future. But for now, he's recuperating, he's relaxing and I hope he's enjoying what was a phenomenal win on Sunday night. That brings me nicely up to today's featured guest. I reached out a few times over the last few months to Belfast super middleweight Paddy McCrory. Very, very popular boxer on the scene. And uh, on a couple of different occasions we had planned and we had to rearrange and rearrange. As happens with most fighters, we take a couple of goes 
line the schedules up and boom, off it goes. I had a conversation and a chat with the big man about four weeks ago, thereabouts, and genuinely felt just just felt great after. He's one of those fellas who just he's fresh, he's honest, and he has a great outlook. He's got an absolutely preposterous talent, and he's got a big, big challenge coming on Wednesday week. I started off by welcoming him to the show, checking how life is going for him, and of course, camp. Yeah, I'm very good. It's a pleasure uh, to be on. So things are well. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, listen, the pleasure's all mine. It's good times again for boxing, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's very good to see it back. Um, it was a long four, four and a half months. Uh, and to be sh- and to be honest, like halfway through, uh, like it was totally unsure. Like things were looking bleak, but um, it's it's very welcoming for a lot of people and for like everybody, like boxing fans, fighters themselves, at its back. We've gone from an absolute famine to a, to a feast, but I'd rather it that way, to be honest with you. But you're you're um, in the middle of your camp right now. You're preparing for your fight on September 1st. How's it all going for you? Um, it, actually, this, like six weeks out, this is the best I've felt physically and mentally. Um, and I think it's a lot to do like, with even like during lockdown. Uh, like we were able to get like things done um, once the restrictions lifted we done a lot of track work and we were just like building the engine working a lot on conditioning uh, and that was with Don Anderson and Dee Walsh um, and honestly like I've never been in a better shape so things are good yeah the lads are doing some work out there anyone that's not familiar we'll get to that in a few minutes I was fascinated okay. reading this I suppose and learning your story about you, you were late enough coming to boxing and you, you didn't take the usual path of boy one boy two uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that one yeah so I think my first date was like like the back end of boy four um, and my first fight was straight into like like uh, so now it's like you get like novice competitions so you get like one of or one to five or whatever it is but back when it was us it was like novice was one to five and then you were straight into like open class so I was straight in the open class um, so my first fight was like very late on I didn't start till nearly 15 um, and I was straight in deep end and from then it's been stop start for me uh, I I think like the longest I've, I've like stuck at boxing would be like two years like without taking a small break um yeah so uh, I, like I never done all that like boy one boy two boy three and then I was straight in to it was a thing called the boys and girl clubs then um so straight in I actually won my first fight and then which brought me to the final and I get beat um but I've, I've like I've always loved boxing uh I, I hated the training but from my same same pro, uh, I'm a different beast. Yeah, funny. J- James said the same to me yesterday. Now he was feeling the rigors of it all because it can wear us down. It can wear people down, and a lot of people will see the glamour side. They'll see the fights. They'll see the glory. They'll see the medals, but they don't see the grinds, and they don't see the sitting at mm-hmm. home while their mates are texting a message and the Instagram messages. They don't see that side of it. And even when they do, it doesn't resonate with them. They can't. They can't relate to it at all. But um, with, no. even with that late start, Pod. Um, it's fair to say the success didn't take too long in arriving. Um, would it would it be something that you say you just threw yourself headlong into? Did you discover a, a hidden talent, or was it just a mixture of everything and and clicked and just and it all started to work for you? 
you know, uh, like so. Back when I like about maybe I was like a young kid, maybe seven or eight. For about three months, my dad took me to his old boxing club, which was Newhill then. So me and my brother ran for about three months, and it's just it's something that I've always wanted to do. So down in the area that I'm from, it's uh, it's called St James's. So there ended up like eight, nine people, all around the same age, and we all went to the boxing club. So they all started before me. D. Walsh, they had Rory Dalton, um, and there was a lot of other fighters. Uh, they all started before me and then so one of the lads dad worked for like a bus company so he, so he had like a wee a 15 seater bus and like I used to see everybody get picked up like I really want a box so I jumped on the bus and then that was it went with the lads and within two months I was fighting that's incredible that that's incredible down where mm-hmm. I'm from down here in Kildare in Newbridge years ago we used to have a similar but it wasn't for boxing it was a bus on a Saturday evening it used to go to a swimming pool in Nace and kids from all over mm-hmm. it was it was initially set up for the housing estate which was the other end of the town but by the end by the time it got to its peak kids from all over the town were walking up to the housing estate to get yeah. on this 50 seater bus <laughs> to go for a swim and yeah. it tells a lot about the times I suppose and, and there wasn't so much I don't know from your point of view but from my point of view there wasn't so much in the in the mid to late 90s for, for kids to do as there is now but Belfast it's a it's a it's a hot spot it's, it's, it's the home of boxing and I mean it's there's crazy. got so much inspiration around you did you find that as um was an inspiration for you and was it was it a kind of a motivator for you yeah so I like like Belfast is soaked in in like boxing history um, and I think on the Falls Road alone you're probably talking which is probably only about a four mile stretch five mile stretch you're talking ten clubs like um, incredible and there's and there's a lot of Olympians came out of Belfast alone some great fighters McCourt Harry Milligan, um, like you hear all the stories and you still hear them, um, and in fairness, a lot of wasted talent as well. Um, Belfast, the Falls Road. Um, I listen. I'm very proud to be from there, but it's not an easy place to grow up in, and especially early, like like in through the nineties, like when I was just young. So I, I was born an idiot. Um, it was rough, and um, this people turned to bo- like like boxing or sports uh, just for like something to do and away from like troubles um, so boxing has a lot of history in Belfast and uh, it was definitely something that inspired me like to do it yeah I speak to so many boxers pod on a daily basis whether it's on the record or off the record former amateurs professionals um, no two will ever have the same story no two and, and one of my great joys yeah. is to speak to and and again, it, it, it's it's when you pick up that phone and you have an idea in your head and you think it turns out to be something totally opposite of what it was. But what you said yeah. there about Belfast and, and living in, in the Republic here in Kildare and, and, and I'm one of my favourite nights out as always to go to Belfast, whether it's for a Frampton night or whether it's for a fight or whatever the case may be, it's a special, special atmosphere. And I get myself absorbed yeah. in it. I don't get myself caught up in it because... I think when you, unless you're from there and grew up in there and had first-hand experience of it, you've no idea. And we don't, there's no point in saying we know, we can imagine, we can't. But what's important, I guess, yeah. from now on is that we learn from our history and we move on and we make it the beautiful place that it is today with the special people yeah. that are in it. And yeah. the sport right yeah. now is just driving it, isn't it? Listen, uh, we are thriving in every aspect. Um, there's very little trouble. Uh, listen, um, 
even like like the twelve just passed. Um, it's every every year from from like the early millennium. So there's been less trouble every year, and it's it's great to see. Now that I'm a father as well, um, I'm I'm very relieved that 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 that's all past us and behind us, and I hope we can move on and live live a very a very peaceful life. Yeah, I agree with you, and and so say all of us, because I know, as I said, from speaking from what boxing did. For, for your part of the world in the past and yeah. what it continues to do on a daily basis it, br- it it brings people from all backgrounds regardless of religion or ethics or everything else it brings you together even if it's only for that couple of hours that you train yeah. it does that in itself and from there then it manifests and grows outwards but I suppose to get back to what yeah. you did in that short space yeah. of time you found yourself picking up four Antrim titles four Ulster titles and an elite Ulster title that that by any stretch for a fellow that didn't pay, lace yeah. up the gloves till 15 wouldn't be bad going yeah. but you were unfulfilled, weren't you? When you found yourself moving across to the amateur to the pro ranks, one, you felt unfulfilled one somewhat. Million, one million percent, I underachieved as an amateur, and I totally put it down to myself, maybe lack of dedication, um, and a bit of politics and boxing as well. But I think I definitely left two or three Irish titles behind me. Um, I, I definitely left a potential Commonwealth medal behind me. Um, and a, a lot of fights as well uh, and it's something that I really regret and I have to live with but I honestly believe when I say pro for me everything has fell right and if I had done it like before I probably wouldn't be in the game now Yeah, and do you think those um, those those we'll call them regrets because I think it's clear to hear it in your voice I can hear it there and it, yeah. still, it still rankles with you when when you're yeah, on that yeah. when you're on those last uh, sprint sessions of a, of a grueling track session or when you're on those last uh, that little bit of a cut or whatever it is has to be done in the run up are those the things that kick in and remind you um, you're not going to have those regrets when you're finished with the with the program? Definitely, uh, one of the big motivators for me is that when I say pro, I I know people thought he's not dedicated enough. Don't have the dedication, and just that alone, like in my head, makes me want to prove people wrong. Um, and you know, they they are totally entitled to have that opinion because at a stage in my boxing career, it was very very true. Um, but as I said, and if you speak to my my previous team in Ryan Mark, they will tell you no one works harder than me. If you speak to my current team, they will tell you no one works harder than me. Well, I, think um, if, I think if we look at your record as well, um, Pod, I think as we go along, you can see you can see the improvement. You can see the step up in class each time, and you can see the step up in your performances each time, and and the pr- things that you bring into your game. But it takes me back to the very beginning of that pro switch over. Um, some people do it uh, with a little bit of anxiety. Some people do it because they feel the need to or want to. But for you, it was it was something that you, you you were always kind of happy to do, and it was something that you wanted to do. And you went along with a fellow who's become a real close pal of mine here on the podcast. He's given me umpteen amount of connections and contacts, and just the confidence of speaking to Kieran Farrell alone. How, how was that easy in the early days of, as a pro boxer? Um, Kieran Farrell has done a lot for me. Uh, I, I definitely wouldn't be here like without him. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had a platform to 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 move. Until the professional ranks, so I will be 
like forever grateful for him. Um, we still he, he still picks the phone up to me now, and we still chat. We talk crap like, but but we speak for maybe like an hour. <laughs> That's one um, of the, one of the best things of talking to Kieran is you get to just talk crap from random things yeah. for one minute to the next. Yeah. He's a top fella, and, so, and big shout out to Kieran as well. Kieran, I always have time for me and Kieran still get on really well. Um, yeah, and he's he's a top fella. He, he he's one of the hardest workers that I know he's in that gym from 6 in the morning to 9 at night um, if it's not professional boxing he's taking it. he's taking the amateurs if it's not the amateurs he's taking one the ones he is a very hard worker he's very passionate about boxing um, and I wish him all the best yeah and he cares deeply for his fighters and former fighters he's got a fairly great I mean when you yeah. look at the fellas that have passed through his short career the likes of yourself the likes of Dylan Morn he's a special fellow connects people I think it's the best thing to say about Kieran. yeah yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't say um, it's unusual but I think what I'd say is when fighters turn pro and when they move across generally they'll find themselves with a decision to make you'll go probably having to move from home you'll go abroad you'll have to go to the US UK Spain wherever the case may be was that something that you considered or was it was a big part of you being able to go abroad the fact that you were able to stay based closer to home um, do you know it's something that I would always like to ex- or like to have experienced but we like I'm pro three years. I I own my house about five years. So with the mortgage and stuff, and then I got married about two months before my pro debut. I was very happy to stay in Belfast. Um, I just knew that it, it takes a lot more dedication, like to stay in your hometown because there's a lot of distractions. Yeah. Um, and everything's just so handy, and it's hard to, or it's easy like to like to lose like the mindset of being away in camp where you're maybe getting up training, resting, training, resting where I'm here, I'm still working, I'm training, I'm coming home trying to spend some quality time with the family. Definitely had distractions yeah. but it's about having like the right mindset for that. Yeah, it's trying to it's trying to spend, spread yourself as, as much as possible and still focus yeah. on, on the career so it's, it takes, with, yeah. with that mindset and with the way you've approached it, 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 it makes it even more dedicated, I mean, even more special when you yeah. do keep climbing those, climbing the ranks and, and, yeah. and, and beating the, the opponents. And and you set yeah. out as I said, you had Kieran looking out looking out for you outside of the ring, inside the ring. One of the more synonymous names of boxing, especially in Belfast and in Ireland, is, is Ray Ginley. He's coached and yeah. boxed the best. He's faced the best, and and he's a fellow that I must actually get on to myself in at some stage over the next few weeks yeah. when things calm down for him. But um, did you knew the lads well, obviously growing up, and uh, before you decided to train with them, was was that was that a big factor as well? Yeah, me me. So when I first signed over, it was actually D and Ray were a team. D actually stepped away from boxing that's then. That's D Walsh, and isn't it? Yeah, yeah, D Walsh, yeah. So D at the very start when I first signed McKeon, my two coaches were D and Ray, which is strange. So then D stepped away, um, and Ray took over. And then we had a massive stable. We had a lot of fighters and some very good fighters there as well. And you're familiar with the rigors of tough training from camps and everything else through that, um, because you could probably compacted you compacted an amateur career into about five, five, four, five years where you where you did yeah. even if you say yeah. so yourself, underachieved, but by by looking at it from the short space of time, it was it was a massive, massive set of um goals that you put in yeah. front and, and you smashed pretty much all of them bar one or yeah. two which which by the end of the pro career you'll be able to correct them as well you'll be able to make, maybe not make up for it but you'll certainly have uh, yeah. eased yeah. the ease the conscience and, and you'll be able to sleep easy by the time it's done but um, yeah, yeah. were there many big changes that you noticed to the camps those early camps in your pro career I know it's only three years or four years or whatever but was there anything really noticeable at the beginning or, or was it just a mindset uh, it was 
it was a lot to be mindset and um, I I always think my style although it's a bit of a a counter puncher style I think it suited the programme so I didn't have to adjust much, much in that way um, but I, I had to work a lot on my conditioning um, which was very important uh, but just being around then a couple of experienced pros helped a lot and Joe Hillerby and Jared Healy they, they have been uh, fighting for a bit and they helped me along and just gave me advice um, but I think Ray was a very willing a very willing learner uh, he went away and he learned a lot about the program as well and I think his guidance was, like, was very it was very important in the early days of my pro career and style wise you actually took my next question you, you actually copped it straight away it was style wise I was no, coming to that to say no no you're perfect it was yeah. it was a somewhat of a natural counter puncher and, and kind of it, it almost flows it, it it flowed in that pro style you didn't have to learn to say plant your feet as such you didn't have to stop it was something that was very much um, I won't say ready made but it was something did you say would that be again I'm reluctant to say natural but it was something that you did find kind of it was your own style you didn't have to work too much on it yeah I I never really had that like the amateur sort of fast tempo. Uh, I like I like to work at my own pace, and maybe that three threes with like like the high tempo and like this like the speed of it never really suited me. So the pro sweat and the style definitely suited me a lot better. The one thing I guess I'm guessing, and uh, from research and from looking at some of the footage that you would have had to iron out a little bit, you, you didn't mind getting into the scrap too much. You, you're quite happy to sit toe to toe and go fuck, go banging yeah. at it. So, was that something the lads had to iron out, or was it something that uh, it, you just bring it, you keep it in the bag for when you need it? Yeah, I've, I, even as young, like I've always been involved in, <laughs> in, in crazy scraps, blood, blood, gut, and tears. Um, but yes, so it's just a, it was just a matter of, I've, I've always had decent timing so uh, it was just a matter of like controlling that sort of urge to go for it um, and controlling it and just picking the right shots at the right time uh, but yeah I, I still do like like a bit of a a banging match <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't be a Belfast fighter without liking a banging match as the lads yeah, in, yeah. in your in your yeah. whole amateur club love to say bang bang gravy chips <laughs> bang bang gravy chips come I suppose recent times and modern times were, and I'm hoping this one of the things that changes about post lockdown is the, the, this preciousness about who oh, picking and choosing and picking four, five, six, seven fights to build themselves up. I'm hoping that's going to fall away a little bit. Uh, we're going to see a few more domestic clashes. One of the bigger and yeah. biggest domestic clashes we've seen in the last while was yourself and, and the Wolf Steve Collins Jr. Um, there was a big yeah. build up to it. There was a there was a no shortage of of uh, niggle in it in itself in the build up. And on the night itself, it had it all. It had the drama. It had the fight. From your point of view, in front of the crowd, in front of the most amazing place that, like I, I know, I spoke to Mick. I spoke to quite a few of the fighters in the build up to it. It must have been just. Would how would you explain it? The build up to it. Put it in words. And and would it be any harder to focus and concentrate in such a big event and such a big uh, occasion? I don't know. It, I I still look back at it, or like I still look back at it and just think like like it kind of like passed me by. But but like walking in that ring. Uh, like on that night, like it was very surreal. Like the thing that I been the concerts there, like grew up there, ran about with my friends there. Um, I literally live. I think the closest estate to it would be where I'm from. So you can literally walk from my house to Falls Park in three minutes, and like that's walking. So I was nearly thinking about doing a, a Scott Quig, a Scott Quig <laughs> No, I'm never in my life, no. But um, it was 
it, it was crazy to think and top rank and ESPN came to the centre of the Falls Road like the whole event like, it's still crazy to think that but uh, in terms of the fight I was due to fight actually a different fighter and he fought six weeks before maybe six or eight weeks before and he suffered a loss so I got a few names thrown at me that night actually and the one that stuck out was Steve Collins um, his dad was a freaking legend a great fighter Steve Steve Collins Jr in his own respect was 15-2 and two, um, and and a, a very good fighter as well um, so that's the name that stuck out to me and and when I heard that I said yes that's the fight that I want they had a little bit of everything and, yeah. and and you came away from it with a win in front of your home crowd and, and as you said as well the scenes from that, from that night were, were I think it, it, it just I think it emphasised the turning of the page for Belfast and for, 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 for your hometown it just proves to yeah. the world that everybody has these ideas and these preconceived notions and, and look back in time but I think what it was as well it was just another little step forward to say listen here we are and it's not ending here we're only getting going here and all the yeah. home talent on display and all the all the support from all aspects and all corners of the community it was just yeah. it was just a special night it went beyond yeah. boxing didn't it yeah it's such a shame that we're that we would have been like potentially two weeks away from from a second field show mm-hmm. and and from what I hear like from the rumours it was due to be a lot bigger um, and so that like, that's a big shame but Last year uh, will be a night that I like will never forget. Uh, it was surreal. I had I sold tickets to people from all over Belfast, North, South, East, and West. Any of them that they I speak to have said it's the, it's been the best event that they've been to. Me being a bit biased, probably because I fought on the bill. I've been to some of Frampton's biggest nights, and Frampton is my favorite fighter like of all time. I've been to some of the massive nights like at the Odyssey Arena. I was at the Windsor event. Nothing compares to, to, to the 3rd of August last year at the Fela. Well, I missed out on Fela last year due to the unforeseen circumstances, but I can tell you the standout yeah. night in my life, and, I, and I've had some many good nights. I've been to Manchester for the Quig fight. I've been to Belfast for the I was Odyssey. There. I was there. I was, and I was I, I was, I'll never forget the wind the cold wind that blew up the Titanic uh, slipway the night he beat Kiko Martinez I can tell you this much it was the most incredible night it was the most incredible setting I'm even getting chicken skin here talking about it I wasn't there and from your point of view and I spoke to Steve Orman there on Sunday morning and he was one of one of his one of his um, phrases and, and, and catch lines if you want for, for want of a better word as he grew all, as he got on in his career and, and took those bigger fights came later in his career he said that yeah. one thing that really bugged him a lot was that the media always seemed to focus on age and seemed to ask him it was one of the very first go-to questions yeah. your age your age your age and it's something I love yeah. about yourself is that it's 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 almost some people say it for the sake of saying it but with you you know it's just it's it's not even it's a throwaway it's something that you're very much now in where you want to be in your career in your life and you're focused on it. There's been a few changes earlier on at this stage now. You've got a change of promoters, you've got a couple of new trainers. But again, age just doesn't come into that, does it? Not at all. Like I like I know some amateurs who were very, very good, very good amateurs. And just through constant boxing for so many years, they got a lot of maze in the clock. And it's it, it's something that I don't have. I I like I'm still I feel like I'm like a brand new car. Uh, I don't have the major clock. I don't have like the hard training camps away. Like, like, and then fighting four or five times in a week. That's through like my own fault. But I just feel that that I'm right where I need to be now. Uh, I feel fresh. Uh, I, like, 
in it. In my current camp, like we have a, a couple of amateurs who are young, 16, 17. We have some good pros and like Lewis Crocker who's 20, 22, 23. So we have a range of like young amateurs, young pros, and then me and Paddy Gallagher like are up, up towards the older end. And like when it comes to like like sprints and runs and stuff, like I'm right there with them and I'm pushing on. And like for me, I I honestly feel the best the best I've ever felt physically and mentally right now at thirty two years of age. And just to touch on that, just to just to I suppose highlight that what Paddy is talking about there is that some of the fellas that he's training shoulder to shoulder with on a daily basis, Paddy Gal, who's a top fella, been chatting to him only on the weekend. Um, he's been on here with me a few times. Absolutely inspiring fella, and and has has plenty more to tell in his story yet. Let anyone anyone that thinks any different, just watch that space and wait and see. Lewis Crocker, yep. phenomenal fighter, just. I can't wait to speak to that fella, Rory Dalton, the rook, who brings as much on his way into the ring as he does when he's in the ring. It's and all under the eye then of Dan Anderson, D, and and the rest of the fellas around there. You would have been yep. forgiven after lockdown. You had a win in February, which brought you to ten and zero. Yep. And we thought the year yep. was only getting going. We were revving up, and then it all kind of just shut yep. down overnight. We went into lockdown. We all had our ways yep. of dealing with it. We've come out the other side of it now. And you would have been forgiven, Pod, for taking an easy one or taking a, just a, a tune-up to get yourself back in, but you didn't. You, you're in with a, yeah, you're in no. with a, a 12-2 and two fella who was, he's coming to win. Was that a conscious thing you needed or wanted, you didn't need Listen, at this point of your career to take anything tune-ups? I feel like I've I've had all my fine tune fits. My last one, I think, was against a very experienced journeyman. He knows his way about a ring. He said to me and quoted that he's never felt power like it. And I was able to deal with him very comfortably. Um, I've seen him in fights with some prospects and he gives them a real hard night a real hard night's work and I felt I felt like I controlled I controlled the distance really well I felt I picked my shots I controlled the tempo of the fight um, and I just felt now like it's the right time like to take that like to take the next step um, and my next opponent who's 12 and 2 um, I think he gets a wee bit of injustice well I seen a post by Irish boxing, who I who do a lot of a lot for Irish boxing, um, but they had just like they put it up like an article, uh, former like like Midlands challenger or something like that. But I think that doesn't do him enough justice. If you look at his record, he beat and and three fights ago he beat a guy who was fifteen and zero. His last fight he beat a very confident fighter uh, who was eight and one, and he knocked him out in the first round. This guy was due to fight for an English title next, and with lockdown, he's now facing me. Dad made a fifty-fifty fight. He's done two or three ten-rounders, so he's a bit more experienced than me. But I feel I have a bit more ability on him. I feel that I'm going to come out on the right side of the fight. Yeah, and I think a win over Mickey Ellison. I think at this stage of your career, it re- not only will it restart perfectly after the shutdown, but it will also put yeah. you in the picture then for a big title fight. We're looking at European titles or one of the IBF Intercontinentals or WBO International. It, it certainly yeah. puts you up yeah. there at that stage, if not in your next one, certainly within within touching distance of it. That must be just for you, Pod, at this point, looking back on it all, all the highs and the lows, the upsets, the joys, it must be a little bit special. You can't help but smile to yourself and thinking... If I get one of them belts in my hands, I feel like all my amateur woes will be gone. Like People can have their aspirations of becoming like world champions and stuff. I think I'm a realist. I have goals, and if I reach them goals, it's just a matter of resetting going again. I believe I'll go as far as I'm meant to go. If that's European level, on the verge of world level, if it's world level, so be it. My goal at the minute is to win my next fight 
I'll wrap it up with this one, Pat. It took us a while to get to it and we got to it, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm glad I did now and I'm glad we did because I've spoken to so many boxers over the last while. From your yes. point of view, Pod, I, I haven't listened to or spoken to a fighter that's more contented, happy, disciplined and ready in a long, long time. And you can hear it in your voice yeah. and I hope that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me because that's exactly how I feel. Well, I can tell you this much. It's a cliche in most parts of the world and it's a cliche in most sports, but the one thing it is not and we can speak from experience from all sides is that a happy fighter is very much a dangerous fighter thanks Thanks very much if there were belts or titles for a likability I think that man would have if not all of them he'd certainly have the lion's share of them best of luck to Potty thanks for your time looking forward to your fight next week that's Wednesday the 2nd against Mickey Ellison now before I wrap it all up for this episode a couple of other things coming up in this week Tomorrow night, Wednesday, MTK have a show featuring Gary Cully, Lewis Crocker, and of course the debut of our featured guest from episode one of Fight Size, James McGivern. And wish them all well in that one. I did reach out to one or two to see, but look, it's been a schedule that's been quite hectic for everybody. So not, no harm done. We will get to them all in due course. And the other side of the planet, right down there, down under, Chatted with Dennis Hogan, my man, last night, and he tells me Jeff Horn is in absolutely inspired shape and frame of mind. He tells me he's going to do a job on Tim Zoo. The fight, of course, is in Townsville in Australia. It was a, it's a huge, huge domestic grudge match. And that grudge gets a little bit spicier as the fight gets closer. The card is full of Australian boxing talent. Name fellas like Jamie Weech versus Isaac Hardyman. Ben Horn is on there against Patrick Clark, Paul Camilleri against Adam Copeland, and more, plenty more. You may have sensed a wee pause there earlier when I said what Dennis's thoughts were on the fight. I do have a little pause for concern. Not sure, may not, I don't know, I don't know. It just has one of those, it has all the signs of one of those. Um, it's set up, it's set up for a huge shock upset, but it's hard to know it's hard to know we've seen the we've seen so many different sides of Jeff Horn over his career he's a a fantastic pro career behind him right now and he's in the the twilight of that career where it goes how it goes I suppose is on fight to fight basis now Tim Tzu has had 15 fights he's unbeaten son of course of the absolute legend and hall of fame star Costas you it's if the very very best Tim Tzu comes out and delivers something that no one has seen before but is absolutely possible I'm not sure Jeff Horn can do much about it. But, but, if Jeff Horn of old is back, he looks fit, he looks strong, he looks healthy. Um, He doesn't sound healthy, but he looks and sounds, everything is in place for it to be a win for Jeff Horn. But just watch very closely and don't take it for granted, because I think over the last week, we found that out to our detriment. That's about it for me and them until then. Thanks a lot for listening, for all your messages, for your support, your comments. This is the last of the Fight Size series. Back to the normal format from next week on, where I'm going to feature an absolutely brilliant interview with Dublin legend Steve Ormond. Stay safe, stay sane, smile. All's well that ends well.